Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since it first started tumbling into Ireland through the old pirate coves of West Cork and in the stomachs of drug mules coming from Miami, cocaine has become the drug of our nation. It has swept in like a blizzard, dusting every corner of every small town. And so swift and total has its spread been that the Irish are now some of the biggest users in the world. But to unravel how a small island like ours on the edge of Europe ended up such a big player in the major cocaine leagues, we must follow the white supply lines back to the beginning. We must follow the routes it has taken as it travels across the globe. And most importantly, we need to follow the cowboys who put us on the map. So join me, Nicola Talent, for my new live show, Cocaine Cowboys, the story of Ireland's love affair with Colombia's biggest export. Limited tickets now available for February 10th at the Lime Tree Theatre in Limerick, February 15th in Cork's Everyman and at Dublin's Three Olympia on Sunday, February 18th. Tickets available at venues are on mcd.ie. I think at this point, Daniel Kinnahan is very heavily involved in the boxing world. I don't think Sean McGovern has given directions to boxers or anything like that, but I think Daniel Kinnahan has effectively split himself and any of the criminal actions, the directing of the criminal cartel, the drug dealing, all of that seems to be coming through Sean McGovern. And that's effectively what the American government are saying and have said publicly. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. The clock is ticking on murder-accused Sean McGovern's freedom in the United Arab Emirates as the Irish government and Gardaí move in for the next step in the takedown of the Kinnahan cartel. McGovern was named during sanctions in April 2022, but has remained at large in Dubai despite a warrant for his arrest. Today I'm talking with Niall Donald about McGovern and his significance as the chief advisor to Daniel Kinahan and a man who took on a role to decide who lived and who died during the brutal Hutch and Kinahan feud. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Look, there's developments and um, 
you know, we'll talk about them because they've been published. So we're not kind of breaching any yeah. thing. Um, the fact of the matter is there's a number of members of the Gardaí who are moving out to Dubai for the coming months and they're going to really manage what's happening next. The next step in this sort of attempt to dismantle the Kinahan Organised Crime Group. Um, what we think the next step is going to be will be the Irish will essentially ask the United Arab Emirates, can they have Sean McGovern? Because there's a warrant for him. He is essentially charged here, yeah. or will be as soon as he gets back, um, in relation to the murder of Noel Duckegg Kerwin. Um, so he's a really significant character, McGovern. And we're going to go back over his life and his rise, first in the Byrne Organised Crime Group and then in the Kinahan Grouping. And to bring him to where he is now, which is Daniel Kinahan's right-hand man. Yeah. And that's what he's been for the last sort of seven years since he's been he's been out in Dubai. Is that right? Seven years nearly he's been in Dubai. Something like that. I mean, I suppose, yeah, he's become an internationally well-known figure because he was named in the, the when the US Treasury put out the wanted notices really for the Kinahan, uh, the tree, the Daniel... Christie Jr. and Christie Sr. Sean McGovern was was mentioned. He was pictured. I think it was actually just one of those Facebook pictures we had used a lot, but the Americans took it, the US Treasury, and described him as Daniel Kinnan's right man, effectively. Mm. So, I mean, it's a long, yeah, he's he's over in Dubai, but it's a long way from where he started. Um, I remember the first time, actually, mm. I saw his name. Uh, if you remember the Bebo. You remember Bebo? I do. And we did a story about uh, the younger generation of the Crumlin and Drimna feud, who were then only 18, 19, and they were exchanging taunts on social media. Not much has changed, I suppose. Yeah, no, it's on say, Bebo then. Except it was on Bebo. And there was a page set up, Fat Freddy's Rats. Right. And it may, may mentioned a load of these names who didn't really mean a lot, yeah. some of them at that stage. But Sean McGovern was mentioned. There was other people like Mad Dog E. Maloney, for example, mm. who probably wasn't as well known. Certainly he's obviously now become a, a poet and is writing poetry. But there was about 15 names mm. um, and Sean McGovern was one of them. Um, so I that brings us back. We do need to go back in time and we're going to go back to, I suppose, the turn of the century. Yeah. We're in the late 90s, the early 2000s. And this gang from Crumlin, Drimna, are teenagers, they're coming of age, they have, many of them worked under John Gilligan and been introduced to some of his wholesalers as still as teenagers. You have Brian Rattigan and uh, Declan Gavin, the two yeah. sort of alpha males of this large grouping of school friends, relatives. They're a, a mini mob already. And of course, Gavin and Rattigan as two alpha males are clashing. They're doing business together but they are not friends and the rivalries are starting. And I think people are starting to line up. Yeah. Um, of course, that rivalry culminates in the killing of Declan Gavin by Brian Rattigan at the Abracababra takeaway there on the, is it the Sundrive Road, the end of the Sundrive Road? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that moment, Declan Gavin is, you know, come out of town from a, a night out. He goes into the takeaway, starts maybe pestering a few women, Brian Rattigan is actually attending his brother Joey's 18th birthday party. He's full of cocaine, full of drink. He hears Gavin is there and he races up the road, gets a lift, gets out of a back of a car, absolutely out of control, knife in hand, and he goes in and stabs him to death. Yeah. Um, now that 
moment is witnessed by a number of people and one of them is Anita Freeman. Yeah, and one of them is David Byrne. Mm. Um, David Byrne. They're there? They're there, just, they're there, obviously, with Declan Gavin. as far Or as else they're coming from somewhere else. Everyone gathers at this takeaway on the way home. Yeah, but certainly David Byrne at that point would have been an associate and would have, uh, you know, been hanging around with Declan Gavin. So they witnessed this. I mean, I think ultimately there was pictures of the scene were published, uh, which are really, really shocking in terms of the the level of of blood loss that Declan mm. Gavin had gone through. And you could see it on the on the floor of the the takeaway. Um, and one of the people who witnessed this is a young woman at that stage called Anita Freeman. Um, and Anita Freeman uh, would be is now over in Dubai with Sean McGovern because they were childhood sweethearts. Um, Sean McGovern is a bit younger than the Byrne brothers, Liam and David. But even at that stage, he was becoming uh, sort of a key associate of theirs. Obviously, after that stabbing, that feud began in earnest really from that point. And there was multiple murders over the next few years, not to go into them. Some people give the figure of 18, I think, but mm. some of these are like like what happened in the Hutchkinen feud. Some of these are kind of sub-feuds within mm. a feud and, you know, it depends how you, you categorise it. But there was a huge amount of blood, of of, of deaths, really. Um, yeah, and after Gavin died, of course, Fat Freddie Thompson stood into his boots, basically, and sort of became the visual leader of that grouping, yeah. which included his cousins, the Byrne brothers, their friend, Sean McGovern, and many others yeah, that we're, that we're still talking about to this day. We're still talking about to this day. So, so I a mean, big group of them, basically. Yeah. But I mean, what people always said about Frat Freddy was he was kind of uh, um, maybe the the the, uh, the 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 figure in the front, yeah. maybe, as opposed to the man who was really directing or masterminding the drug dealing operation, mm. I suppose. Frat Freddy was seen as a kind of a, a, a soldier rather than a, a general, maybe. Um, so over time... Freddie Thompson would have been in and out of the country, served a couple of prison sentences for sort of assaults and various things. Um, but as the Killing Cartel really became established in Port of Benoose, the Burn uh, organization be- rose alongside with them, I suppose. Mm. And they became much more important than Fat Freddie Thompson ever did. And alongside the, the rise of the Burn grouping, um, Sean McGovern who became a, uh, who went from being a maybe not a not a, a decisive figure in that organization became more and more important and in the 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 minds of people i suppose who who know these guys maybe a slightly uh, smarter operator a bit more of somebody that could be trusted to manage manage business parts of it um, he rose rapidly as well so basically while you know, Thompson was essentially, you know, known as a bit of a murder machine. Yeah. And he was doing all the dirty work of the gang. Behind the scenes, they were becoming more organized. They were going from being teenagers, young adults to men who were becoming serious players in the cocaine trade, which is what was kind of bringing in the money for them all. Of course, the Byrne brothers had pedigree, they'd criminal pedigree, their own father, James Jaws Byrne. Um, was a guy who was suspected of being the man who always supplied the passports, the false passports. He had a bit of a business yeah, in I that. Mean, Porter, like he was also, I mean, if you look back on stuff the Sunday World did at the time, 
Uh, Jaws Byrne was also a regular over in Porta Benus as the Kinnahans got established. And, you know, the, the, his, his sons, Lehman and David, who had been initially dealing with criminals, uh, getting supplied by drugs, you know, in Dublin by people, other people who were bringing them in, seemed to have moved into the business of getting them in themselves effectively. But having him there and his connections, and he, of course, was connected both to Jerry the Monk Hutch, he was connected to Christy Kinahan Sr. I mean, a guy who provides something as vital as passports is going to know everybody. So that gave them a bit of extra kudos that maybe Freddie Thompson didn't have. Yeah. Also, their sister, Joanne Byrne, married... Thomas Bomber Kavanagh. Yeah. They were initially living in Drimna. Kavanagh in 96 becomes one of the first targets of the Criminal Assets Bureau and they migrate to the UK where he sets up uh, on the front of it a car business but actually he's running a massive big, again, cocaine business in the UK. He establishes himself very quickly and I think through basically his the threat level that he he sort of that emanates around him and some connections he had there. Um, he became a serious player in the Birmingham area. So that in itself makes the Burns more significant as well. And like, I'm saying all that because I do think that Sean McGovern is a player. Yeah, He knows who to align himself with. Um, he knows who to charm. Yeah, And he certainly does that. And as the time goes on, you can see, and yes, they are very much the Burns over and back to Port Banus. They're integrating themselves into the Kinahan network. They're becoming the, the the Dublin arm of the Kinahan network while Bomber is being, um, you know, groomed essentially by Daniel Kinahan to yep. become his, his UK uh, connection. And that sort of is all emerging. Um, but McGovern sort of sets his sight on Liam yeah. of the two brothers. Liam is probably the more business-minded one of them. David Byrne, the late David Byrne, was always a bit of a party guy. You know, he loved to go out. He loved to have a bit of fun. Uh, Liam definitely was the more stable of the two. And from a business positioning point of view, I think he was the one that Bomber Kavanagh saw as the leader of the organization, the real leader of the organization here in Dublin. Yeah. So, I mean, look... McGovern is so close to Liam Byrne at this point that he moves in kind of just up the road from him. They go into business together. They uh, set up a car sales again, sort of a twinning with Thomas Bomber Kavanagh called LS Active Car Sales. Um, it actually has a premises there. Yeah. yeah maybe yeah. it had a garage at the back of Rally Square and then it had a premises somewhere. They were bringing in and out uh, cars from the UK there was no doubt they weren't actually running a proper legitimate business. They were using the cars as currency, which would come up later in the Criminal Assets Bureau case. But they're getting, they're becoming more and more organised if you follow their trajectory. Yeah, I mean, Sean McGovern is not uh, unlike people like Fat Freddie Thompson or, or other people associated with him, like we're talking about people like Mad Dog Maloney. They're picking up all these convictions. They're picking up convictions for assaults. They're getting in trouble. They're you know, being arrested for stuff at Freddie Thompson, if you remember at the time, this sort of in the 2010s, he's, you know, being pictured going in and out of Garda station, wearing wigs, you know, mm -hmm. posing for the cameras sometimes. So there's all these things going on. He's getting in and out of the country because of threats. Sean McGovern is not, uh, these sort of things aren't happening to him. He's much more controlled and under the radar. 
I don't think he has any particularly significant convictions. I don't do think he has a few of a very minor type. So he becomes uh, he becomes a registered owner of some of these businesses and a registered director. Um, and at that stage, as you said, the car business becomes a way for it becomes really a massive uh, money laundering scheme, effectively. And um, you know, and you you saw that was ultimately unpicked by Cab. Um, where they sort of went through how this how it was being used, how um, people were having use of these luxury cars, but were not uh, were in theory only renting them out, and it became a way in which to to have a lovely car effectively, mm. but you don't have to hand over money and appear mm. to have bought it. So therefore, you're not one in theory. They weren't vulnerable to cab, and they didn't have to explain how they're they're driving because they were driving these incredible cars. Um, also, during this time, Sean McGovern uh, buys a house, as you said, you know, a few hundred meters away from where Liam Byrne is. Their road, isn't it? Their road, um, and again, uh, that's bought. He lives there. He does it up. He does exactly what Liam Byrne did, which is spend the value of the house again, if not more, on on fixtures and fitting. But again, Cab would eventually unravel that. And of all of the purchases, it was the most complex, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, it was an incredibly, if you so, you see the level, I suppose, of which they're at. I can't remember exactly what year it was, maybe 2000 and, and, and in the early 2010s, I think it was. Bought. I have it in my head that the, the money that was transferred for the purchase of the thing was in and around the 250,000 mark. It was. And what it was, was it was in um, uh, an offshore, it was done through an offshore bank account somewhere in the Caribbean, wasn't it? Mauritius. Mauritius, sorry. Trust fund, I think. Trust fund. And the trust fund was ultimately connected with a guy called James Mulvey. Um, And James Mulvey is a first cousin of Bomber Kavanaugh. He's serving uh, something like 20 years for various drugs trafficking offences. He was a guy based in Birmingham and um, there was a long elaborate court case where we heard about him and despite being Bomber Kavanagh's first cousin, he ultimately would be uh, recorded speaking about his fear of Bomber Kavanagh who he did called glasses, I think, during the trial. James Mulvey was a major, major player in the drugs business in in Birmingham who was uh, basically working underneath uh, Bomber Kavanagh um, eventually fled, I think it was to Lithuania and was picked up. So you see in some ways it was suggested, I think, in the cab case that because of a drugs debt, James Mulvey had arranged this purchase through this offshore account in Mauritius and that's how Sean McGovern uh, became the, the beneficial owner of, of Kildare Road. Yeah. yeah, And like, you know, he's living there with Anita Freeman, his childhood yeah. sweetheart. I mean, himself and Liam are similar in that they have these stable yeah. family sort of lives, very stable, very, um, you know, there's never a suggestion, certainly I could oh. say about Liam that he was straying or he was anything like no. that. You know, he seems to be a family man. Yeah. And I think McGovern the same. The women, uh, Natasha McEnroe would be... Um, Ryan Radigan's, but it'd be Simone Sorry, McEnroe. Simone McEnroe, I meant. She's a, a cousin, of course, of a cousin Natasha, of Natasha McEnroe, McEnroe. Which is another little irony because obviously those two, uh, Brian Radigan and, and Liam Byrne, would have been mortal enemies at that stage. But so, I mean, Anita Sim- Freeman, yeah. Sean McGovern actually had it. In fairness, I don't think, I think he did have a people page back in the day. But he was like Liam Byrne. They weren't really on social media themselves. They were on other people's More low-key, I think, is what... Exactly. The, and the women... 
like Anita Freeman would have been very friendly with Simone McEnroe and also with um, Kelly Quinn. Kelly Quinn, who was David Byrne's partner. And they all hung out together, the women. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, they liked to go, they liked, they liked a nice, nice lifestyle. You yeah. know, they would go off to hotels together. Um, you know, they were like, I sort of, I suppose, an ordinary group of friends that intermarry you know, and, yeah, but and it was a very tight knit group, I suppose. Very tight. That allowed them to sort of operate in a more controlled manner. So you didn't have Sean McGovern mustn't like you hear all sorts of notorious things about other gangland criminals and their crazy lifestyle and going on coke binges, but you didn't hear that so much. But they had a really tight uh, group of people that mm. they obviously felt could be trusted under all conditions mm-hmm. and you know, were... Yeah, I mean, look, their kids hung out, their wives hung out, they hung out, they were friends from childhood. They were more than just a grouping of criminals coming yeah. together, you know. Um, and there was an awful lot of family bonds there as well, which made it very difficult really for the, you know, to get intelligence out of the, yeah. the gang because you were trying to, I suppose, break through blood bonds as well as anything else. But... um, So they were the good days, but the... The heydays that was going to yeah. come on to was 2013, 2014, 15. And that's when the Burns started showing and making really big money, as did Thomas Bomber Kavanagh. Um, you know, the aftermath, the sort of reverberations, I think, of Operation Shovel had calmed and they were making a lot of money. And McGovern does start driving pretty fancy cars, BMWs. I think he supplies Anita Freeman with a similar kind of matching BMW car. They start becoming a bit more showy than they previously were. And the Burns were turning heads in this country around that time because of the display of wealth. There was nothing low-key about them. They were feeling a confidence and a wealth that, you know, they were beginning to feel that little bit untouchable. Now, ultimately, Thomas Bomber Kavanagh was the man in charge and he used to come in and out of the country in bigger and better motors and with loads of gifts for everybody. And I think somebody he did respect and trust was McGovern. Yeah. Because he he was difficult uh, to get him to like you, I think. Yeah. Kavanagh he was very paranoid, very cruel, very mean. But he saw something in McGovern, an ambition, maybe his business skills. Yeah, I think a bit, just a bit more, a bit more uh, ability to control his, his manner, you know what I mean? Um, you see other figures like maybe Graham Whelan, the week Whelan, and you see, you hear him when he's being arrested and he's melting off the police and all of that sort of stuff. McGovern doesn't seem to have been like that. And of course, around that time you're talking where, it, it, if, if you remember, which is kind of hard to comprehend at this stage really, but Daniel Kinahan and, and Christy Jr. were regularly flying back into Ireland for, for boxing events. Yeah. And at those events, you'd see, as you said, it's the, the heyday and the Burns and Sean McGovern and the Kinahan brothers, they're all hanging around together. It's all one happy organisation. Mm. They're all going to the weigh-ins. Liam Brannigan is there. And it, it's it's all going well. Mm-hmm. And and you'd nearly say at that point that McGovern is almost like a brother to the Burns. Yeah, he's, he's... He's very much in the family folds, you know. He's living with within their sort of, would you call it their sort of stronghold, their compound almost, which was, the, you know, he was in and out of Sadie and, and Jaws Burns' house. He was like a member of the family, really, really, really tight there yeah. with Liam. Holidaying always together, all yeah. that sort of stuff. So that brings us up to the Regency Hotel. Yeah. And 
Sean McGovern was actually injured at the Regency Hotel because he was shot along with another guy called Aaron Bulger, who was originally from Tala and had moved out to Spain for a period of time and was, you know, associating with the Kinnahans. But McGovern was shot. Stray bullet? I, or was I mean, he targeted? Well, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know, actually. I presume they're, they're, it's, it's not, you know, nobody's ever been <laughs> said who they were looking to shoot. But he was shot in the leg. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that uh, Sean McGovern would have been somebody who would have been a, a maybe would have, was a target, but it's not clear. But it's, it's also not clear for the single reason that he never gave a statement. Um, no. He was questioned, like they obviously sought a statement off him about being shot but he wouldn't give a statement to the police. I remember that night, um, you know, it was, the rumours were flying around after the Regency and, you know, there was a lot of energy in the air and I was getting texts all night, McGovern's dead. Mm. No, sorry, he's alive. Mm. McGovern's definitely dead. No, he's not. Oh, no, he's just injured. And then I eventually got this text, you know, I mean, he had somebody, he'd been dead about five times yeah. and I eventually got this text saying McGovern's checked himself out of the hospital. Yeah. So he was definitely not dead. Yeah. And that's what he did. He checked himself out of the yeah. hospital. I think Brady was a few days, or sorry, Aaron Bulger was a few days in hospital. I recall Bulger posted a selfie of yeah. himself in the hospital bed with his thumbs up. But that, I suppose, the loss of, David Byrne, who was almost a brother to McGovern, you know, that shooting of him, which the likelihood is that he was targeted and maybe, you know, he was targeted in the same way that Byrne was. Yeah. I mean, the 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 grouping that uh, still unidentified exactly, but um, the, yeah. the Hutch faction that went into the Regency that day knew everybody. So it wasn't a random, you know. No, it's, I mean, it'd be surprising. They knew them, they had been... I mean, and also like, you know, if you see in the aftermath, um, I think the couple of days after when when David Byrne's body is returned to his family, um, you see then uh, there's a core group who will visit the family home, um, Daniel, including Daniel Kinnahan, who walks in with Bomber Kavanagh, uh, whose picture walking in with Bomber Kavanagh. But Sean McGovern is one of those guys. He's in there. And at that point, there's still that unity and that unity is expressed during the funeral when they're all standing side to side, um, you know, and but that unity probably st- breaks down over the next period of time, I think it's fair to say. Unity with? The Kinahan organisation and the Byrne organisation. It doesn't... Well, I think really that picture of Bomber Kavanagh and Daniel Kinahan shows that they, you know, that... Look, Daniel Kinahan was the target yeah. at the Regency. He got away. David Byrne was shot dead, who was Bomber Kavanagh's brother-in-law. They both had skin in the game then yeah. against the Hutch faction. Yeah. And they did come together as a murderous duo. Yeah. And Bomber, because he was in England and had people here on the ground in Ireland, kind of became the... He was doing Daniel Kinahan's bidding for him. Daniel Kinahan goes back to Spain and very quickly moves on out to the Gulf where he's very much still involved in ordering what's happening on the ground here. But I mean, the actual mechanisms of it, a lot of it is controlled by Bomber Kavanagh and his people. And, you know, certainly I remember those first two years, which was when, you know, most of the murders happened until I suppose really the the Gardaí got enough people behind bars and enough hit teams were taken off the streets. But um, hearing over and over again that Sean McGovern was very much at the fore of um, organising and, you know, deciding, I was told, who lived and who died. Yeah. And so McGovern had got himself into that position. 
between, I suppose, his relationship with Bomber Kavanagh and what we would later sort of discover was an even closer relationship with Daniel Kinahan. Yeah, I mean, he became, I suppose, if you were to describe it as in company terms, is what, what would be called a sort of operations exactly. officer mm. uh, or operations director, mm. where, you know, do you have a, a sort of a board who make decisions, but you have some that's then carried out, somebody directs the, 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 the how it's carried out effectively. And in a sense, it is believed that that was Sean McGovern's role, that, you know, Daniel Kinnan and Bomber may interact with people here and there, but, you know, they would then delegate these really important things to, to Sean McGovern, who deal with then deal with a range of, of guys just as a step below that, you know. And he's also a trusted advisor. I mean, if you're looking at it in political terms, he is the guy behind the scenes whispering in the ear yeah. of the president telling yeah. him what to do. Yeah. Because he seems to become more and more that. I mean, he does have an ambition from the beginning and he is trusted and brought into the inner circle. I think he's really pretty clever. Yeah. And he's not a diplomat. No. He's whispering the right things in the right ears. I mean, he is the one who is kind of looking at the situation on the ground and deciding yeah. who's next, basically. But if, so he's a dangerous, very dangerous, very ruthless character at this point. Very ruthless. And I mean, obviously then you, you, you can see with some of those murder plots that there's, if you look at the, the, the burn organized crime group who are supplying weapons and supplying these people, but there's also them really Kinahan lo- or Daniel Kinahan loyalists and the connecting point between them seems to be uh, Sean McGovern as much mm. as anything. Um, but obviously then as, as the feud continues, more and more people are getting picked up, more and more of these attempted plots, say against Patsy Hutch or, you know, Michael Gately. There's people starting to get arrested, people starting to have to leave the country. And Sean McGovern, I mean, I don't, we don't know the exact day he, he departed to Dubai, but he is gone, I suppose, following the, the as the investigation heats up into Noel Duckegg Kerwin's. He's gone immediately after the murder of yeah. Noel Duckegg Kerwin in just in between that and I suppose that regency. Yeah. The Criminal Assets Bureau go after the Burn Organised yeah. Crime Gang and their homes and one of the homes they seize, one of the first homes they seize is that one in the Kildare Road. All that evidence of the trust yeah. fund comes before the court. I think McGovern and Anita Freeman initially tried to get free legal aid and evidence of their lifestyle was read through the courts, um, including travel, um, the cars they had, the kind of money, and all of that happened. But yes, McGovern remained in the country until the immediate aftermath, basically, of the murder of Noel Duckegg Kerwin, which occurred just before Christmas of 2016. Um, And yeah, he went straight out to Dubai, where he immediately is welcomed by Daniel Kinahan and he very, very quickly is at his side in the way he yeah. once was at Liam Byrne's side. He's his advisor, his chief advisor. He's he's with him, making decisions with him, making arrangements with him. Yeah. Um, and living close to him. I think at yeah. one point living in an apartment that Daniel Kinahan had lived in, as far as we know, at a certain point. Um, like obviously Daniel Kinahan is there. He's doing all his boxing stuff, appearing on social media, doing interviews and podcasts, as I said. But, um, you know, he he's they're still directing the operations there. And Daniel Kinnan, as his father as well, they've always tried to keep 
a step away from from doing that, but it all has to be done over, over electronic communication. Mm. And the belief becomes that Sean McGovern becomes, uh, you know, a key figure in in directing that part of the criminal organisation. Um, I suppose, like it, it, it's he, he 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 sort of appears to start, and maybe this was always the way with him. But he starts to almost enjoy that end of the business, which yeah. is the directing of murder. Yeah. Um, he sees it as a challenge. He's, yeah, I mean, he's definitely a much darker figure than yeah, cause we he, ever would have considered him to be. No, and he possibly doesn't look the type, does he? Like, he doesn't yeah. look particularly intimidating. But I suppose, you know, people at that level of criminality that, that the Kinnans are at, they need these people that can be absolutely trustworthy. Um, will I read you out what the, the American government has said about Sean McGovern? Ooh. Right. So, Remind me of this. When was this again? April 22, 21? <laughs> April 22, thank when you. When was this Cola. April 22? Yeah, yeah. So this is ultimately when, when, when the US Treasury Department uh, had this now famous press conference and read out um, that they, the Kinnahans, they were, they were looking to, they were putting out a reward for information on the Kinnahans. And they named a really, really small group of really key people, if you know what I mean. There's a load of other people involved, but they named people like Johnny Morrissey and Ian Dixon. But one of the people they named because of their, their significance in the operation was Sean Jared McGovern, as they call him, Irish national Sean Jared McGovern, currently based in Dubai, was designated for materially assisting, sponsoring, or providing financial material or technological support for or goods or services to or in support of Daniel Kinnahan. McGovern is Daniel Kinnahan's advisor and closest confidant, and evidence indicates that all dealings with Daniel Kinnahan go through Sean McGovern. Sean McGovern has also managed communications on behalf of Daniel Kinnahan, and he sells multi-kilogram quantities of cocaine. So I think at this point, Daniel Kinnahan, he's very heavily involved in the boxing world. I don't think Sean McGovern has given directions to boxers or anything like that, but I think Daniel Kinnan has effectively uh, split himself um, and any of the criminal actions, the, the directing of the criminal cartel, the drug dealing, all of that seems to be coming through Sean McGovern. And that's effectively what the American government are saying and have said publicly. It'll be very interesting to see down the road perhaps it will emerge. It's been suggested to me by from very good contacts before that McGovern was behind a lot of the social media sites that were being run by the Kinnahans. And they included, I need to look back on them, but I remember being, you know, targeted by random Twitter accounts that were claiming to have an interest in a particular murder case because usually an honourable reason. Yeah. But it didn't quite make sense why if somebody was, you know, had the reason. Like, for example, I remember at one point being contacted by this weird looking Twitter site, I think it was, claiming that they had an interest in um, finding the culprits for Trevor O'Neill's murder. Now, he had been the poor council worker that was killed out in, um, in Mallorca while on holidays with his family. And this individual was claiming that they were just trying to dig up a little bit of information here, there and everywhere. And they were going to try and put pressure on Daniel Kinnahan. I can't remember exactly what it was, but this person claimed that they had worked with Trevor O'Neill and um, was trying to kind of feed me basically to go looking at a certain aspect of the Kinnahan story. Um, and it was during 
COVID lockdowns. Yeah. And of course, it, the, the, the kind of messages were coming in at peculiar times. And I was like, why would somebody working with the council who wanted to get a bit of publicity for Trevor O'Neill's murder would ever have to be anonymous for a start? Um, and, you know, it was a very strange way to go about it. But at one point, this individual said that they were researching some material. They sent me some death notices of actually relatives of Daniel Kinahan and Christy Kinahan Sr., who had sort of disowned them. Yeah. And they sent me information to sort of maybe pique my interest in going looking for them. Um, and they said that they had been in the, um, I said, where'd you get this stuff? Oh, I was down in the ILAC library or something like yeah. this, going through the, when were you doing that last week? Sure, everything was closed yeah, yeah, yeah. in Dublin. So now I had my suspicions beforehand anyway, but, um, you know, it was always suggested to me that those kind of weird communications that you'd get, I don't know whether you got any of them. I mean, I would have probably got them yeah. because my name was on a lot of the stories and, um, you know, I was I was kind of, I suppose, speaking about it a lot, uh, but that it was, uh, McGovern was behind it and it was like this sort of, it was always a bit of a head fuck. Yeah. He was always trying to play games with you to try and... Yeah, I think they're trying to extract that little bit of information or direct a certain... Or amuse themselves, yeah, amuse themselves out in Dubai waiting to see what you answer or whatever, yeah. but it was always very sort of creepy and, um, you know, you could just see there was a very troubled mind involved in it yeah. and a very manipulative mind involved in it. Somebody who had no problem, obviously, you mm. know, pertaining to be... No, and I mean, one, one of the other things we did here then as well is that obviously as he grew closer to Daniel Kinnan, I mean, that didn't please Liam Byrne. We did always hear that as well about yeah. John McGovern that... He was a little bit... Jealous. Yes, maybe. jealous or because there seems to have been tensions certainly arose between Liam Byrne and Daniel Kinnan over as as things didn't go as planned. And but sure, the Kavanaugh Byrne organization were destroyed, dismembered yeah. by the NCA and the police here. And it seemed as if the Kinnahan end of things, Daniel Kinnahan and all were just carrying on regardless in Dubai, which of course they were. And of course, Sean McGovern was also carrying on regardless yeah. in Dubai and living a good life by yeah. all accounts, living in great apartments, spending yeah. lots of money. So there, there was, that was a source of tension with the mm. people that he'd been so close to, which is the, the Byrne organisation. Now, at one point there, very recently in the last year, his father died and there was a suggestion that maybe he tried to slip into the country to attend his funeral, but of course he didn't. No, no. Um, he didn't come near. I always think that's quite telling, you know, and also um, doesn't it show the deeper you go into criminality, the smaller your world becomes and the kind of the way you have to kind of cut ties, you have to have that ruthlessness to cut the ties. Imagine your father dying and you're not being able to come home no, to see him. No, it's, look, it's, yeah, and it, he's not alone and that, that's happened to other people associated with the, with the Kinnons and it's, yeah, look, it's... So will he have an exit strategy? Because he's had a long time, he's known since... April 2022, that there's a warrant for his arrest, that he's wanted here on charges of murder. He's known all that and we're only moving now on him mm. to request his extradition. That's expected to happen over the coming months. Will he be still there? Well, I mean, uh, I suppose, it, it. look, we don't know how things work over there, do we? Like, we don't know how it works in Dubai. If he was in Ireland, um, they'd be he would be being collated, as I said, by the police. There'd be checks on passports. There'd be all these types of things. What goes on in Dubai, really, we don't know. No. But 
there does seem to be uh, the guards and the Dubai authorities seem to have at least come to a good understanding of each other. And you have to imagine that in a society like Dubai that that it'd be difficult for him to get out unnoticed. Mm. However, money talks, doesn't it? Mm. Anyway, look, um, that's where he's at. So that's what's expected over the coming months. And um, we'd be no doubt one way or another, I think, talking about him a lot. Now, recently, Declan, Mr. Nobody Brady, pleaded guilty in relation to the murder of Noel Duckegg Kerwin. There's been two other people before the courts in relation to it. Martin Casper Aylmer was jailed for eight years for importing the tracking devices used by the gang to target Kerwin. Um, And and Jason Keating, who's jailed for 10 years uh, but in the Special Criminal Court for his role in, you know, was described as helping a sinister and ruthless criminal organisation carry out the execution-style murder of Noel Kieran. So again, these charges are, are, um, you know, there, nobody has been sentenced to life for murder, but there's been for this broadly what could be considered facilitation of 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 this murder. Um, and Brady's co-accused Michael Crotty, of course, has gone on trial because yeah. he has pleaded not guilty. Yeah. Um, so that case is going to be in that's, the news over the coming weeks. Yeah, that's due to be heard and he's pleading not guilty. So there's others have, have pled guilty, but he, he's pleading not guilty. So that'll go to a full trial. All right. Well, that's Sean McGovern, Life and Times, and maybe yeah. future prospects. <laughs> well, yeah, there'll be more more podcasts to come, I would imagine. Okay. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take the Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume the Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume the Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.